Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Welcome to Curious with Josh Peck. Start the show. Welcome back to the Curious Podcast. My name is Josh Peck and I'm your host and your name is Listener and that's what you do. You listen. Now, I don't want to get political. I really don't because I fucking hate that. And I I can't say that strongly enough. Like, I am not a fan of people flexing their political beliefs, especially imparting it on audiences who really are bait and switched. I was I was recently watching the Emmys and there were just a couple speeches that made me want to that made me want to lobotomize myself. It made me want to stick some sort of sharp object into my brain box and literally just do a master reset on my feelings and my thoughts and my theories. Because sometimes I hear people talk and I don't want to live in this world. I don't want to do any self-harm but I just can't, the uh, idiocy and the ridiculousness of it makes me feel sick. And maybe during these 5 to 20 minute rants that I feel so self-empowered to do on a fucking regular basis, maybe that you're having that exact feeling as you listen to me. And for that, I don't apologize because fucking change it. Go listen to Joe Rogan. I don't give a fuck. But you're here, you're listening, so here are some thoughts. Um, I I just, I, I got off on a weird tangent, although I will say all these fucking award shows where people like me, limousine liberals, use it as a podium and as a, you know, as a soapbox to push these agendas that no one, respectfully, no one signed up for. And I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to debate both sides. I can understand the person who wins an award, says this is a big audience and what better way to get across my virtuous feelings and thoughts than in this setting. And this is kind of silly. You're right. It's just millionaires giving other millionaires presents. That's all a real award is, right? And it's all, I mean, it's not the Olympics, right? It's not based on real skill. It's subjective. It's who they preferred for that, you know, nine months of time that you put out whichever project you were in, right? And there are other factors. No one ever won a a medal because they were cheated out of it five years before. And they were like, yeah, he lost, but give it to him. He he was great in the 2002 Olympics. No one, you know, that doesn't happen, 
right? That's why I fucking loved sports, because for better or for worse, and God knows there's been some shit caused by some crooked referees, but for the most part, it's pretty black and white. You know what I mean? It's, uh, it, you know, the, the numbers don't lie. Um, but yeah, I just feel like when people like me go up there and push these agendas that inherently feel disingenuous because I think us, the viewers, watch it and think, did someone write this for you? I don't think you spend a lot of time with whichever disenfranchised people you're talking about. I think you got like, uh, you know, you got handed uh, like a, a cheat sheet before you got up there and now you're assembling some like overly dramatic, this is what kills me too, and forgive me, it's the people they get up and they start doing the thing about the whatever, the cause that they're pushing at the Emmys, when it's a dumb award show where you should literally just be like, yo, thanks, I, I guess I deserve this, although it could have gone to anyone else, but thank you and you know, dope. I, I wish someone would get up there and say, yo, thank you. I hope that this gets me more jobs. And with all the power that I will accrue from getting more jobs because of this arbitrary ass award, I will give that money to things that matter. Bye. That to me, I would fuck that. That would get a standing ovation for me. I realize this award means nothing that this is a self-congratulatory night and the only real winners here are the producers who are making money from the various licensing and promotion fees. But with the power that I will accrue from winning award because entertainment just likes heat and the biz just likes when someone else has validated you and then they want you when someone else says you're good, with all the power that I will now accrue from this meaningless thing I will do more jobs, I will make more money, and I will funnel that money into causes that matter, and I'll, I'll probably stay out of it. But the people that I'm giving the money to, they, they matter. They're the actual good people. I'm not a bad person. Most of them are. Most of us are. I, I don't want to say them. I don't mean to project. You know. Hmm. But I'm not a bad person. I'm an okay person. But there are much more virtuous, good people that have a better plan that will put this money to good use. And me, using this time as a, uh, you know, as yet another opportunity to do this, like, virtue signaling performance, because it's a fucking performance, because why you're all so out of breath while you're, you know, there's no Oscar for, uh, for award show speeches. But it just feels so just nerdy. It's just corny. Anyway, so, you know, those are my feelings. And they're mine. So I'm entitled. Um, but to circle all the way back from that random ass tangent, let's talk about politics for a second. Well, let's talk about Trump and that he might be impeached. And I don't want to get into politics, trust me. Because, like... For every Republican out there who's thinking, fuck you, you know, you lefty libs, you know this is ridiculous, and like, 
I'm not so interested in what he's talking about to a foreign leader because when it comes down to it, sometimes you got to roll up your sleeves and you got to break a couple laws and commit a little treason to get shit done. And what about what was Biden's son doing in the Ukraine, huh? Yeah, this is just one of your fool's errands and he's just trying to get, you know, I don't know, get it done. And you goddamn no good, you know, gay marriage supporting liberals. You're just a bunch of rabble rousers. And you're just trying to make things hard for us while our Mashiach big orange bloat bloat bag is getting it done. (laughs) Oh my God. This is a bad one. This is a bad rant. I apologize. But you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not trying to be... I don't... Whether he gets impeached or not, this is not my thing. This is not what I care about, okay? So now, Republicans know, here I am, removing myself, and now taking issue with the people that I, you know, mostly align with, I guess, whatever. The Democrats, let me take issue with my own peeps. Hey, fucking Democrats. If, for any reason, we win this thing, I'm talking now, talking in a year from now, Whatever. Let's just say Trump is no longer president in the near future. Don't gloat. Don't dance in the fucking streets. Don't bombard your social media feed with celebratory posts of we did it. We didn't do anything. This was a fucking... This has been a mass failure from our side from Jump Street. A guy like this doesn't get in office just on, you know, mere merit alone, on just millions of people that are completely backwards thinking that support a guy like this. This was a failure on our part from years and years of ignoring symptoms, of ignoring signs that people that belonged to our party felt disenfranchised and felt hopeless and felt that neither side was talking or, or, or was giving a voice to their, to their plight, to their experience, and no one was looking out for them. So they chose Anarchy Light. That for so many people, they felt so, they felt so goddamn fed up about both sides that they decided to bring some, you know psycho neon orange outsider in to see if he could shake it up and shake it up he did but nevertheless it's like i just worry like let's just imagine in the world and who knows it's not guaranteed by any means but let's imagine that like something drastically changes and maybe he's no longer president i just think it's going to be like this massive masturbatory session where everyone's going to run to their social media and post their relation and find like the hottest meme to show like you know, Nancy Pelosi tiptoeing in her Jordans around the fucking West Wing and then everything will stay the same. And I just think it will be a heartbreaking shame and really frustrating and disappointing. Like, if for some reason something changes, there's a shift here and the Democrats inherit the earth, we need to shut up. And just fucking go to work and extend mad olive branches. And I don't know what that looks like because I'm not a smart man. 
okay? I didn't take a civics class, which, by the way, does this not seem insane that we've, like, inherited this democracy, this republic? I mean, it's kind of a republic. But this democracy, in quotes, that we all feel very entitled to be a part of, right? Like, my voice matters because I'm an American, I can say whatever I want. I'm an American. I just don't want to say or do anything or have any part in the process of governing this land or making decisions that matter or having any sort of uh, responsibility in how this all works. But I'm an American, right? Civics classes should be mandatory. No? I mean, if you want to fucking go scuba diving legally, they're like... Well, then you need to know how the tank works. You you must understand how to breathe underwater, then, if you want the pleasure of using this. But, you know, us, we just, you know, we're born on this particular soil, and all of a sudden we think we've inherited, you know... I mean, we have. We've inherited the rights, but it's like, maybe we would all be better equipped to... um to make some significant change if we actually understood how things worked and didn't just have to like trust these political leaders who were never quite sure completely have our, uh, have our best interests at heart. So I don't know. I just, there probably won't be any shift. And again, I'm not trying to be political. I don't, really understand the need to reiterate this point because trust me you know repubs i'm not really on your side but i get just as turned off with my own peeps um as i'm sure you guys do at times well maybe less than you guys do because you hate us for other reasons but yeah man i just don't i i think it would be uh i think it would be a, a complete and utter shame and the greatest uh sort of squandering of opportunity and just if if we you know fail to to use this time to really pivot the party and the priorities um of the liberal agenda we have to be the change we seek we have to model it first it's uh, it's about uh, traction rather than promotion. I borrowed that from the 12 steps, but you, you understand what I'm saying here, right? I mean, we can't just fucking gloat. None of this, no hot takes. You know what I'm saying? Let's get to work. Let's model the things that we've so been lacking and the things that we're looking for. No? Does this make any sense? I'm, I'm not sure. What else? Did I write anything else down in this awful, don't gloat Democrats, famous people Emmys, done. I guess that's it. Um, On today's show, Ryan Holiday. I love this guy. He's back. He's a friend. We've known each other 10 plus years. Now, I mean, when we originally met, I, I think we spent 17 minutes together. But now... Now, we're buddies, and I can always depend on a text back fairly rapidly, within hours, and that's what I call best friends in this day and age. Anyway, he's a brilliant author, Uh, he's written such books as Ego is the Enemy, and The Daily Stoic, and uh, The Obstacle is the Way, 
He's uh, he's just a, a incredibly smart smart human. He's got a new book out called Stillness is the Key. It's out today, October 1st. Go get it. You'll love it. Um, treat yourself. Is today October 1st? I feel like it is. I'm just making sure it is. Um, go get it wherever you get books on the Amazon, on the Barnes and Noble. We talk about Trump a lot in the first couple, like 20 minutes of the podcast, just as a warning, but don't worry. It's more of a dissection of his personality traits and less uh, politicizing. I don't know. Uh, why am I trying to apologize? It is what it is. If you're listening, you're probably going to keep listening. And if you're already turned off, I'll send you your money back, which this is free. So you're really out of luck. Anyway, guys, enjoy Ryan Holiday. Go buy his book. October 1st. Stillness is the key. Bye. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Oh, yeah. Feels right. Yeah? Look at us doing it again. Doing it again. Am I the first repeat? Second. Okay, who's the second? Who's the first? Lisa Lampanelli. Ooh, that's a good one. I'll follow her. Yeah, it's not bad. Yeah. It's a good company to yeah. be in. So, I, <laughs> I don't know why. I just feel compelled to ask you because maybe because I know that you were offered a job in the administration. Uh-huh. But, like, here we are a day after two mass shootings in the country. Okay. I didn't even know there was two. I just knew there was the one in El Paso. Then there was one last night in Dayton. Oh. Ten. Okay. Your... Trump's, uh, what would you be, the press secretary, chief of comms? What's uh, the... Not to him. I, so I got, <clears throat> I got offered a job as, as press secretary for one of the cabinet members, a, non, a less controversial, albeit still controversial cabinet member. So I wouldn't be involved in this necessarily, but... Let's say you were. Yes. What do you, how do you tell him how to handle this? What do you do? I mean, I think you just get up and leave. Like, I mean, I don't, I don't know. <clears throat> I don't know how... So I wrote this New York Times piece about this, and I've talked to actually a fair number of people who are like sort of involved, tangentially involved, or were offered stuff, and it's... In the administration? Yeah, I think people are... You tell yourself, and you had Dove on, so I had a similar relationship with this at much lower stakes. Yes. What you tell yourself is, first off, like you see some good in the person that maybe other people don't see. So you kind of, and then because of that, you kind of get this like hunker down mentality. So like, because you believe them, you like them, you're like in their camp. Right. Then when they're besieged by criticism all the time, all you focus on is like what those people get wrong. So it, it like becomes this, you like, you hunker down in the thing. So instead of like, it's like what we think like, oh, if you just like show someone in a cult that like the cult is bad, they'll leave, but it actually yes. makes them want to stay in it more. So I think what happens is you, you, these people for a variety of reasons got involved in the administration and then they're in it. And then even if they know that it's bad now and they don't like it, they tell themselves if I, they, you tell yourself, if I leave the person who will replace me will be worse. Mm. And so it, so you, 
become complicit in time because like you're not, you're you're complicit but you think you're helping and it's just like the thing you just can't get out of and so i mean if if i was there again i think i'd i'd be like one life is too short two uh, like life is too short to just like hate your job and be not working on something you think is good. But two, like you're never going to change this person. You're, you think you're, you think you're mitigating their, uh, worst impulses. Um, but in fact, you're just enabling them, you know? And so I don't, I don't think there's anything you can do. I don't think it's salvageable. I, I think, I think, uh, yeah, I just think it's terrible and tragic. Because I wonder, like, in moments like this, right, because the role of a president, for better or for worse, a major role is being a figurehead of of bringing the country together, of nullifying fears and whatnot, and reaffirming that maybe everything's going to be all right. Yeah, you could, he could, <clears throat> what's so interesting about Trump is that he desperately wants to be liked. And so it's natural that a lot of his policy positions are polarizing and controversial, and look, there are lots of people that agree with them and think they're right. And so you're never going to get people, you're never going to get everyone to like you there. But there are so many things that a president does ceremonially that Trump could spend like 100% of his time on and would get all the things he, like, this is the sort of toxic part about ego is that it actually deprives you of the one thing that you want. Mm. And so like, you know, Trump could spend the next two years basically just going from ribbon cutting to ribbon cutting, you know, like uh, charity hospital to charity hospital, get, say nice things when bad things happen. But he's actually incapable of doing that. And right. it's in a way, if, if, it, if he wasn't the president right now, and we, we weren't, if we, could only, if we were only looking at this historically, like if he was Warren G. Harding or Andrew Johnson, um, you, you would... You, or he was a character in a Shakespeare play, you would actually have a lot of sympathy for him because you would, you would see how monstrous like the demons that he has are and how trapped he is by them. Because you, it would not be hard to write a tweet that would actually make people like it. As polarizing and terrible as things are, you could, def, like, you could, write, you could write and say and do so many things that would not make people hate you. But he can't. And he can't do it in any situation, in any circumstances, no matter how beneficial it would be to him. And yet, it weirdly, that thing that you're talking about seems to be the thing that reinforces his base to say, like, yeah, he's no kiss-ass. He doesn't subscribe to the pleasantries, to the social contract that you libs keep pushing down our throat. No, there is, yeah, there's a percentage now of the population who thrives on owning the other side and i wish i wish you could say it was only trump's base that's like that but like the the reality is their radicalization has radicalized the other side who now like if suddenly there was a uh democrat in the white house like let's say one of the further left candidates won mm. um there would be all sorts of moments where they would be passing up doing the thing that we're talking about to own the deplorables or whatever that's that's the really sad part about the cycle that we're in and so like one side is destroying norms and the other side instead of enforcing norms just destroying norms on their own and it becomes this sort of like internet flame war of like who can 
who can dunk on the other side the hardest, you know? And it's like, why do we need to do any dunking? Like, you know, a bunch of people are dead. Or why do we need to do any dunking? Like, the jobs report is in. Or why do we need to do any dunking at all? What does this accomplish? So it's really, it's really strange and sad. What do you think, like, when you have the sociopathy that goes on with a guy like Trump? So I don't, it's, I, I think, so Marianne Williamson has said that in the debates. I, Trump is not, I, a sociopath is someone who is in a way hyper-rational, right? Like a, so, a sociopath has no moral compass, mm. um, but is, is, is basically able to see through, like is sort of incapable of shame, let's say, or incapable of- Empathy? Of empathy in, in, in the sense where it's like, why would I do this for this person when I could just steal from them? Like, like I could lead this person on and then steal all their possessions. In a way, a, a sociopath is like, is almost like a, I don't want to say a superhuman, but it's like a super predator. Like it's it's got like it, it's like extra sharp claws yeah. in a way, right? And so I just don't think that explains Trump at all. I think Trump is this sort of like uh, narcissistic egomaniac, like a malignant narcissist in the psychological sense. And so that more explains what he's like a a, a sociopath has to get really good at passing in society. Like a sociopath has to, a sociopath would know exactly what to say to get you to like them. Got um, it. And to make you think that like you should put all your trust in them, let's say. Do you know what I mean? Yes. I think, I think uh, Trump is something different. I think in a way he's, uh, there's, there's not even a lot of examples of like, he's like that. But are they... So it's definitely a pathology. Like he's not in control of it, but I don't think he's a sociopath. Well, it's like it's it, not Dexter. Do you know what I mean? Dexter is like Dexter is a psychopath. The, the difference between a sociopath and a psychopath is like a sociopath has no moral compass, sort of unmoored from the rules of humanity, and then a psychopath like is basically actively doing this for like murderous or bad purposes. At least this is the distinction I would make. But like. Dexter and Donald Trump could not be further from each other on the the spectrum of humanity. Do you know what I mean? Like, right. if Trump couldn't Trump couldn't do any of the things that Dexter does, <laughs> like even just like like uh, he'd give himself up. Yeah, you see give, all those he'd, people he'd give that it killed away in two <laughs> yeah. seconds. Right? Yeah, and and even just like hiding, like he couldn't like he he couldn't do any of the things that Dexter does. Like so, anyways. That's a di- di- uh, that's a digression, but well, it's funny you say that, and I'll meet it with a, another digression, which is I interviewed my buddy who's a stand-up comedian, Rick Glassman, okay. really funny guy, and he talked about how it was revealed to him only a few years ago that he had Asperger's, and he really didn't know, yeah. but he had gotten in some bad experiences with some bad results, and finally did some exploring. And he said, you know, so I've really had to learn exactly what it means when someone squints their eyes at me. Yeah. Or he's like, because it, it has no effect on my feelings. Right. The idea that you're tired of hearing me talk doesn't go through my brain. Sure. But it's, I've had to learn yeah. that. And I said to him, I, I said, could you have not done all this work and just been fine? Yeah. And he's like, yeah, wouldn't have bothered me. <laughs> right. <laughs> you no, know? totally. So I... um. I reread one of my favorite books a couple uh, months ago. It's called What Makes Sammy Run. Did you know this book? No. It's, if you're in Hollywood, it's like the book you have to read. It's, like the, it's basically a novel about a sort of an Ari Gold type in the, in, the, in the 30s. It's like a screenwriter. He basically goes from like this sort of like 
a Jewish ghetto kid on the Lower East Side to like being like uh, the head of a Hollywood studio. And mm-hmm. that's like the journey of this. And so he's this sort of toxic egomaniac uh, who'll screw over anyone, do anything to like get to the top, right? And, and there's two, I'll, I'll, two th- interesting things about the book. So one, there's this scene in it and it shows you how dated the book is, but like the, the, there's a female screenwriter and she's saying like, look, like if you see someone with polio... This, so, like, that, not something we would see much anymore. But she's like, you would go, like, a germ infected this person's body, and it twisted them up, and it destroyed a large part of them, and you'd feel nothing but sympathy for them. And she's like, maybe we have to feel the same way about Sammy. Like, something happened to him, and he's not consciously doing any of this, but he just is what he is. You know what I mean? And, and so I think that's an interesting way to think about it. But basically, I'll ruin the ending of the book because I think it's, it's easy to miss. But basically, so the book is told from this sort of a narrator of like a person like you and me, like another screenwriter who wants to be successful, but he doesn't have whatever that like shark instinct. Uh, he's not like a rube, but he's just like, held down by the fact like he won't steal work from other people. He won't shoot people. He won't stab people in the back. He won't lie. He won't, you know, he won't do the things that we know will get you ahead in the short term, right? Especially in Hollywood. So basically at the end of the novel, Sammy has just married like the, this massively wealthy socialite. And on his wedding day, he thinks it's the happiest day of his life. And he walks upstairs and like uh, his bride is like having sex with another man. And he confronts her and she says, I thought we had an arrangement. Like, I'm like you. We're both horrible people. This is just for appearances. Like, how are you surprised with this? So Sammy's like sort of wrecked by it. And the, the narrator, he co- he's co- Sammy calls him and he comes. And the, the, the climax of the book is that the, the guy says... Um, I hated Sammy this whole time and I kept wanting like karma to rise up and smite him. Like I, he was like, I wanted cancer to attack this person as revenge for all the horrible things yeah. that happened. I His wanted them to get the, yeah. And he's like, and then I realized that being him was the comeuppance. There is no like moment where the fortune is reversed. It's that the day-to-day reality of living in this head is actually horrific. And so that's something I think about with Trump. And again, I don't even think it's political because like I try, I'm a person who lives in Texas. Like I'd actually like to vote for a Republican if there was one that I could. Um, but like, it is not fun to be Donald Trump. Like it, like, and I, I have this scene really briefly in stillness, but like, just imagine you're the president of the United States, your wife and child won't live with you. Your other kids are idiots, right. you know, uh, you're the laughing stock of the majority of the world. You can't sleep. You look at your body and it's grotesque. And so I just imagine Trump wandering the halls of the White House in his bathrobe at like 3 a.m. watching, you know, reruns of Fox and Friends texting Sean Hannity. Like, I bet he is tired of winning, as I guess what I'm saying. Like, I'm not saying it's good for the world, and I'm not saying that's like his punishment and we should all let him continue it. I'm just saying, like, uh, this doesn't work for people. It's horrific. Yeah. And I, I, my question is like, I wonder whether we're talking about sociopathy or personality disorders like malignant narcissism or borderline histrionic, like all the things we see in, you know, I would say you'd see it more so in leaders than not. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't you like, is Mark Zuckerberg a quietly 
that like are th- I think Mark Mark Zucker I don't know Mark and that so but it's like Mark Zuckerberg is probably closer on the spectrum to being a sociopath than Donald Trump would be like clearly there's some social cues or Asperger things that have in a way are like sort of has allowed Zuckerberg to go like what if I could put friendship into a computer you know mm. like that normal person wouldn't do but uh I don't know there is there there is if you read the book the psychopath test no uh, it's John Ronson he wrote like so you've been publicly shamed but he, he has a book it was like basically yes there are higher incidences of of sort of psychopathy and sociopathy in um different different positions of leadership because like okay you're the CEO of a company and you have to lay off a thousand people. I could not do that. Like I just literally would rather die than do that. Same. And so like, but somebody does have to do that. So it's, it's, we want to be like, the truth is like the Stoics would say like every type of personality has some purpose in like the larger ecosystem. You probably just want, wouldn't want a malignant narcissist to be president, but maybe he would be, a great real estate promoter or like would (laughs) be good on a reality television show. So it's like everyone fits somewhere in here. Just the problem with our society right now is like we have the wrong people in the wrong roles, you know? Yeah. And, and also I think it's required to a certain level. Like I don't think anyone who's like the head of a fortune 500 company or all the way to Warren Buffett himself are like necessarily these deep empaths. And I don't think we want them to be. Oh, definitely. Like I, I, the great, so uh, what's the, the joke? It's like the devil's greatest trick was convincing us he doesn't exist. It's brilliant that Warren Buffett has made us think he's a kindly old man. Right. Warren Buffett currently has, as part of Berkshire Hathaway, $122 billion in cash. A kindly old man does not do that. A fucking shark does that. Do you know what I mean? Like you have to, you have to go for the jugular. Like, like you don't accumulate 122 billion dollars by like being friends across the negotiating table. You've you've taken everything you can from every interaction you've been in. Yes. You know. So it is weird. Yeah. We. I think you do have to have these things. Just like look. Like, do you want the people in the military to be like nice and friendly? Like they are nice and friendly, but like they better also have that sort of savage impulse when we need it. And I think we all have that within us. It's just different people have it in different degrees and then different professions or different occupations or lifestyles, like bring it out or don't bring it out. It's funny. One of my favorite things that your mentor, Robert Green said when I interviewed him on my pod was, you know, and he's written the 48 laws of power and, And I said, do these laws, are they in sort of contradiction with what Ryan writes about, which is, you know, stoicism and, you know, he's got a new book, Stillness is the Key, which we're going to talk about. And he said, first and foremost, he's like, I never say you have to employ these things. I say, this is how power has worked historically. And if you're going to succeed, it's important that you understand this dynamic. He's like... But don't think Ryan's walking around yeah. as like a Buddhist. No, no. Yeah, he's right. He's right. No, and, and I love Robert because like Robert writes all the laws and then I've had the experience, the joy and I have gratitude for of watching him decide to deliberately ignore laws in our own relationship. Like I was the apprentice to this person and then I've went on to have my own career. I don't think it's like by any means like in danger of... of uh, outshining his but like 
I would be jealous if my research assistant suddenly published a bunch of books, right? Yeah. And but like I've seen Robert like not do that. I've seen like one of the laws of power is uh, let others do all the work, take all the credit. The fact that like Robert even talks about me is like not a violation of that law, but to me it's it's him choosing to not be to not employ a strategy that might be beneficial to him in the short term, but like would be bad for me, you know? So um, I, think, I, I think one of the actual problems with where we are right now in the world is that like Republicans have sort of nakedly embraced power and the dynamic of power and sort of almost worship power as like the primary aim of politics. And liberals think that being right is enough. And... You almost need like a Lyndon Johnson figure who's like, like, have you read the Robert Caro books about Lyndon Johnson? No. It's incredible. But like basically the art, think about it this way. The arc of Lyndon Johnson's life is that he nakedly embraces and pursues power as a Southern Democrat from the 1930s to the 1960s, which means being a segregationist, which means, you know, all these things. And, and built up like a huge balance of power with all those people and then promptly betrayed all of them to pass civil rights when he becomes president. Right? Like, like, um, in the democratic debate, uh, uh, Kamala Harris is like going after Joe Biden right. for having busing and no, 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 for, for having even a collegial relationship with two segregationist Democrats when he yes. became a congressman that's how civil rights was passed in this country is that Lyndon Johnson got Southern segregation Democrats to think he was one of their own to put him in the white house. And then he promptly stabbed them all in the back to do what he wanted to do his entire political life, which was like help people. And that's exactly but right. He was also had this ruthless sort of jugular, uh, you know, sense of what power was and he wanted that for himself so he was not a good person and you would not want him to be your dad you know and you probably didn't want him to be a president for some reasons but then he was good for other reasons so i think i think that's why robert's books are so important and that's why history is important and that's why even understanding trump not as this guy that you don't like but as like if you could see trump trump as being having been president a hundred years ago you'd probably learn something about even how to prevent it from happening again. But people don't want to do that. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think you bring up a great point with the Biden of it all, which is that Bill Maher spoke to this the other day. He was like, I don't love Biden either. He's yeah. like, but it seems like most of the country does. They like Uncle Joe. Yeah. The coastal left liberals that you're talking about that are hell-bent on what's right, don't. Yeah. But like, it seems as though like the minorities and people in places like Wisconsin or Detroit, they got a soft spot for old Uncle Joe. So it's like, let's not totally. let's not shoot ourselves on our way to getting the presidency because nothing gets done unless we got a guy in the office. Look, the allied powers in World War II is the United States and Britain, both good, and then Stalin, right? Yeah. Like we, were, we, we basically looked and we were like, okay, there's like a lot of bad people in the world. Stalin's one of them. Hitler's one of them. Uh, either they're going to team up or we got to get in between the two of them. So whose side are we going to pick? Do you know what I mean? Like it just, that's just like a, one of the most basic principles of sort of politics and strategy as you go like, okay, what's our primary aim? Is our primary aim defeating Trump? 
Yes. Okay. Literally nothing else matters then. Do you know what I mean? But we can't, we can't do that. And, and you also need a guy like Stalin who's willing to put 10 million of his own people on like the front line to freeze to death in order to win it. Yes. I mean, you don't necessarily need that, but it doesn't, it doesn't, ha- it doesn't I mean, hurt. at that time? Yes. No, no. And, and so, uh, but the, the point was you can make temporary alliances to accomplish important things. And yeah. we, but in, we live in this sort of time of purity and virtue signaling and like what spreads well on social media. And so even the thing you said about Bill Maher, like that, Sentence. That's a long sentence. You're like, oh, I don't really like Joe Biden, but a lot of people in the country like Joe Biden. And so like, blah, blah, blah. When it's like, it's easier to be like, Joe Biden's a racist, you know? Yes. Like, so that's where we live. It's a great point. And I had heard someone say something to the effect of like, if you were in a relationship with someone and you got into a fight, why would you ever want to completely annihilate their forces and yeah. just like nuclear bomb them as a person and their character and then get in bed with them that same night. Yeah, sure. And, and the idea is, is like this total, like this idea of like warfare amongst, uh, you know, someone who's got a similar objective, which is like, can we live in harmony? Yeah. And it's the same thing I noticed with like Kamala coming after Joe and then Tulsi coming after Kamala. I'm like assholes. Like we're going to fucking kill ourselves. No, we and have I don't to even cohabitate. Think it's, I don't even think it's good strategy. I mean, I think like I think Trump is going to pick who the Democratic nominee is. So like, even if even if it was even if you really hated Joe Biden and your Kamala, she'd actually be better at attacking Trump and getting Trump to respond to her. That's how you you're not you're not winning any votes really by knocking Biden out of the race. So it doesn't make any sense. Now, the whole thing is, I think, just a, another symptom of like another symptom of of how unstrategic people are really able to be even at like the most elite level with a lot on the line people just can't can't do it it's you know it's such an interesting thing i wonder like so have you aside from being offered a, a position um in the administration, have there been other sort of dubious opportunities because you have this? In my incredible- life? Yeah, like where yeah. you've said, this doesn't align with my beliefs? Um, yeah, a number. I mean, it's, I think people think like, oh, like the, you know, the devil's just going to come tempt you and be like, hey, do you want to do this? Like, like when you're a kid, they're like, you know, I saw this meme. They were like, you know, I was sure prepared as a child for a lot of strangers to offer me drugs. Yes. You know, which of course or that's not what sand. happened. We always that's hear about quicksand. Right. That's not how it is. <laughs> Nobody offers you drugs. You go seek out drugs. Like anyone can get drugs at any time. That's what drugs are. Yes. Right. It's not like, hey, do you want to do some drugs? Like you go get it. And so it's like when I see like some of these like, now influential uh sort of like right-wing trolls let's say like i could do that if i wanted to Mm. like i i not only could i do that a lot of them are using the sort of playbook that i wrote in my first book which was designed to be an expose but like i could have not written that book and i could have been any one of these sort of provocateurs um or i could be the person that you never heard of that is sort of working behind the scenes with i I could be working with Steve Bannon if I wanted, you know, like I don't want to. Mm. And, and it's not, I'm not saying that they've asked me to, but I'm saying that I could have decided to go down that path if I wanted to. And like people say that they'll go like, 
I got an email yesterday. Someone was like, you know, given your marketing things, you write about ancient philosophy. Like, how do I know you're not just like doing this to make money? And I was, I was like, do you know how dumb that sounds? Like, I, I'm a, I'm a good marketer. I understand how media works. Do you think that I chose in in the world we currently live in? What I chose as my get rich quick scheme was an obscure school of an ancient philosophy that talks about virtue and self discipline. I mean, like that's just the worst. I I could sell Bitcoin. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you could do anything. And so it's less like opportunities like that, and more like, um, and more like things I could have dragged in and I've seen people that I know people that I are friends with that are like or, or at least friendly with and then I go I go I'll like see like let's say their YouTube videos and I'll go like oh you're you're just like you're just letting the algorithm take you further and further right because you know that's where the views are and YouTube's one of the worst offenders yeah totally and so you can I mean even as someone who makes content yourself like if you decide like I don't care what I make. I just want to make things that are popular. It's a pretty steady and quick drift towards a whole bunch of different directions. Do you know what I mean? Most of them are not good. But like you just go, you're like, oh, I'm just going to make more people like this. I'm going to make more of that. And then you go that way. Who wrote that? I mean, I know it's it's very topical and I forget who wrote the book. I know that there was Zucked that mm-hmm. came out. But it's basically that the algorithm thrives on keeping people pissed yeah, and sure. alarmed. Anger is like the most uh, accurate predictor of virality of any of the emotions. Yeah, it, yeah. it causes the most engagement. Mm-hmm. Um, how, when you talk about like that you could have worked for Steve Bannon or any of those types, you know what we're seeing like with that new Roger Ailes movie was that, or the miniseries, is that Roger Ailes didn't necessarily have a political affiliation. He saw a niche that needed yeah. to be filled. Mm-hmm. How many of these guys do you think are more the Roger Ailes school than the other? I think a lot of them. I mean, like... Uh, I was, Opportunistic. Yeah. You, you, when I talk to these people, when I talk to a fair amount, they're like, oh, yeah, Trump's nuts, but you can't say that. You know, like, that's, that's... So you're just... You're responding to sort of market forces. And I have the opposite. So, like, I, I'm like... Uh, again, I, I wouldn't... I, I, I'm probably center-right. You know, mm. um, you seem like you're sort of center left, right? Yeah. I'm more like center right, or, or at least I'd like to be. That's how I grew up. That's where I'm comfortable. Sacramento, baby. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so I, I see like, I can see where you could say things that would get you the validation or the, you know what I mean? Like, so it's, it's, I don't know. I don't know. I actually know where I was going with this, but the, the point is like, you're, you're, you can respond to the incentives or you can say like, here's who I am. This is what I think. Oh, I know what I was saying. So um, like I send out this email every day for Daily Stoic and it goes out to like 200,000 people or so. And, and, and then I have my own articles. And every time I say something about Trump, I watch how many people unsubscribe, mm. right? And then, uh, or people get really angry. They go, I was a huge fan, but now fuck you or whatever. And so what I always respond with they go like, they go, you don't have, you didn't have to say this, right? And I go, but I did. And I'm not saying it's, I'm not even saying for like moral reasons, because that would imply that like the thing I wrote like moves the needle in some way. It's more like I, the way I think about it is like, I didn't become a writer and earn this platform person by person over the last decade to not say what I think 
for fear of offending people. Do you know what I mean? Like that's, that's how I think about it as like, as an artist, you should say what you think and make what you want to make. And then the artistic or sorry, the commercial implications of that should be considered, but secondary ultimately. So it's like, I'm just never not going to say what I, th so most people do the opposite. I, that, that's where I think you have to have your sort of compass sit, which is that like, you make what you want to make, you say what you want to say, you are friends with who you want to be friends with. And if that loses you some business, like, so be it. And, but what do you think about, like, I had uh, Jamie Metzl on my pod last week, and he's like a futurist and was a fellow f for the White House and worked with uh, Joe Biden when he was in the Senate, and really smart guy. And, and people like him and, you know, Bill Maher, who I'm a big fan of, will sort of sum up the issue and a resolution very succinctly. Yeah. And I'll always wonder to myself, why can't the candidates talk like this? Yeah. Why can't weird. they? I don't know. I don't know. I think you end up living in a bubble. Mm. It's also the kind of person that, you know, maybe it's the kind of person that becomes a politician um, is, is not that person. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. It's a, but it, I think it is that it does. It like what AOC is doing and what Trump is doing is actually not that hard. I don't get why more people can't do it. I don't do it on purpose. That's not who I want to be. Right. But like, I, I don't get why, like Biden has all the assets you would need to dominate the news cycle, but he can't be interesting enough to do it. It's very strange. What do you, uh, having worked for people like Dove yeah. and you know, you, you, you know, you go and you speak at these huge conferences and so you're around Titans of industry all the time. Like, was there a part of you, I don't know, it seems like, and maybe I'm like projecting, that there was a part of you that just doesn't want to be in that world. Yeah. Because yeah. you could be hugely rewarded for being the, for pulling the strings. Yeah, I mean, I think about it. I guess my, I think, so I go back and forth. So one, one explanation would be like, what I really like is writing and that's who I want to be and I've like willingly given all that up. Yes. That's what I'd like, that on a good day, that's what I'd like to think is true. And then maybe someone else is sitting there and going like, oh, he's just like scared. Do you know what I mean? It's just like fear. He just can't get over the chasm. Scared to do what? To go? I don't know. Maybe there's some, like, to put yourself out there in some way or like, like, okay, for instance, I could tell myself like the way I try to live my life is like, I, I don't want meetings. I don't want a bunch of people that work for me. Like, I, I don't want to start a company. I want to be able to do whatever I want. Yeah, I mean, 90% right? of your Instagram is you doing farm work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, like, I could, that's what I, I, I've told myself I'm, I'm choosing that deliberately. But maybe I'm choosing that because I'm running away from another thing. So, that, that's, I don't know. I'm just trying to be, uh, I, 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 that's what I think about sometimes. It's like, maybe I'm actually just scared. But I don't think that's true. I think I really like what I do. But, but do you see what I'm saying? Totally. I, I interviewed Neil Brennan and yeah, he, he's, he's amazing. He's uh, so talented and you know, he, and he loves a good name drop and self-admittedly, but you know, he's like, I spend my days where I either have Dave Chappelle or Ellen or someone of that elk or Chris Rock calling me where we're having a great time talking for an hour and maybe I'll help them with some shit yeah. for their special. And he's like, and then I'll write a little bit and fuck around on the internet and I'll do my set. Yeah. And maybe I'll do another Netflix special. Maybe I'll go help a friend for a few months. 
He's like, what I don't want to do is sit in a fucking meeting with a bunch of studio heads giving me notes about some sitcom I'm pitching them or that yes. we're in production of. He's like, but to the world, they might ask me, well, but what's next? Yeah. What's your next? And like to them, to the world, that the value, you know, it seems like the value is only in like, but you should be making more TV and movies and they can't wrap their head around the idea that like maybe he doesn't want to. Yeah, no, I totally, I totally relate to that. And I, that's what I'm saying. That's what I think I'm doing. Mm. But like maybe Jerry Seinfeld would be sitting here and going like, but that's what it takes to make something as great as Seinfeld. And actually those things you're so, you say you hate are not really that bad. But he'd be saying and it like just, this, Ryan, <laughs> what's you know, the deal? He'd be like, you're just being, those are rationalizations you've made to excuse not going for it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, um, and I don't know. So I, I, th- I the, the point is like, I think the reason I, I want to entertain both is that I don't, it's very easy. Okay, there's a quote and I'm forgetting who it's from, but I, I heard it recently and I loved it. And they were like, it must come as much consolation to the mediocre man uh, to tell himself that the, that like the great man is miserable or something like that. Do you know what I mean? And, and we know we were talking about this a little bit with Trump, but I think he's like an exception to this thing because it's so objective. But the, the, the point is like, it's easy to tell yourself like, oh, like the thing I'm doing is like pure or better, but like, and that's because I don't want to waste my time in these network <laughs> meetings, but like maybe you're just like afraid. It's funny in 12 step there's, uh, and I'm, I'm going to poorly paraphrase it but there's this idea that like we were rescued from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body Mm -hmm. right we were complete slaves to this thing this moral bankruptcy spiritual bankruptcy and then we get sober and you know they talk about the pink cloud yeah and everything's great sure and then of course everything becomes shit because life creeps back in yeah and it's not enough to just be sober yeah it's like but i want all the cash and prizes too yeah and this guy I've heard talk said something to the effect of like, my life, the greatest my life gets has to be linoleum floors, shitty folding chairs, bad coffee, and you assholes. Okay. Like in that, like just not being drunk has to be the whole award, like yeah, the whole sure. reward. Sure. And anything that you get on top of that family and, and professional success, all of that is like, it's truly icing. Yeah. But in order to sustain some level of contentment, the mere fact that you are not a falling down drunk anymore has to be your end all be all as far as like you, you yeah. won, you woke up sober, sure. you won today and anything that yeah. happens on top of it is, is icing. No. And I think, I mean, obviously I think that's a great way to live for everyone. Right. It's like, you didn't die this morning. So like everything else is pretty much icing, but it's <laughs> right. really, it's really hard to live that way. It's yeah. so hard because like, all of humanity's progress is in thanks to the fact that our brain is incapable of being satisfied. Why is that? Well, it's like, look, why would we cross? Why did we cross the land bridge from Asia? You know, like, why did we? Uh, why did Columbus sail out of the ocean? Why did we murder all these Native Americans? You know, why did we do all the all the awful, scary, terrifying? brutal violent things that we've done to get to the iphone and this podcast and right you know all the things that we have right it's because there's we're incapable of having enough well Do you know what i mean yeah and so 
it, it's like, think about it. It's like if every man could just be, if every person could be like, oh, I'll, I'll be with this person for the rest of my life and I'll, my eyes will never wander and I will never cheat on my spouse and blah, 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 blah. Like the world would have like two thirds of the population. Do you right. know what I mean? Like, like all of our, our inability to, to be satisfied and our willingness to hurt other people in the pursuit of getting what we getting something we don't even need and probably don't even want, but can't stop ourselves from getting is, is really like the motive force of all of humanity. Like I, like what I say is like, look, like Elon Musk is very important for humanity. I wouldn't want to be Elon Musk. Do you know what I mean? Like, like when you only $3 billion companies is enough. You have to like do the next one and the next one, but that you can see how, somebody in the 1500s with that attitude was propelling all of humanity forward. And in each generation, there is that. Well, we're also hitting a weird, like you would never yell at someone in the 1700s that they're like, uh, that they're working too hard, you know, because the whole idea was like, no, I'm because just work as hard as you could to basically make enough to sustain for a day or two. Yeah. Like we all, you know, it's, it's, we laugh. And I heard Joe Rogan talking about this. Like, yeah, we all want to get back to nature because we've killed all the predators. <laughs> like, yeah, sure. Nature used to be a really scary fucking thing. Like only a hundred years ago. Totally. I mean, like it's, it's interesting. Like, uh, I have, it, I have hogs on my property. We have like these wild hogs. And so, I, um, I shoot them like, cause they're an, an they're a nuisance. Yeah. No, they're like worse than a nuisance. They're like the most, there's, they're like literally hundreds of millions of them. And like, there are these giant destructive, horrible species. Didn't that, some asshole bring them to America? Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, not some, I mean, just one of the, one of the, um, Spanish explorers had hogs on their ship to wow. eat during the journey. And then those are, they're descendant from those things. But anyways, like people are like, why are you doing that? I was like, first off, they shouldn't be here. And second, I'm not the one that killed all the mountain lions and the wolves, right? Like that's who would do this before, mm. but they don't exist. Like somebody has to do this unpleasant work. And I think this goes to the point about everyone having a role in society, but the, like we don't, we, yes, we enjoy nature, but it is because it's, it's, it, we've conquered it. Yeah. It's now a park, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's now a safe national park, but it is, it is, uh, Robert would say like, you step back, it's brutal and merciless, you know, and we're a part of that system. And, and I think our denial of that is probably causes not more misery than openly embracing that fact, but it does just sort of sublimate misery and it pops up in all these different places. It's interesting. I was thinking about what you were saying before that, you know, if you were in it for the money, why would you write about stoicism and philosophy? And yet, and maybe not like books like you've written, like Conspiracy, which are, are, aren't are necessarily in line with like the daily stoic and ego is the enemy. But it seems as though to me, and maybe it's just because I'm a coastal lib, who's like constantly on a path, a path of, of self-discovery. This is the best time to be writing these kind of books, no? Sort of. I mean, look, you, so I write basically self-help books. I apply ancient philosophy to modern life. Mm. There are many more, at least immediately appeal, like you write a book about called Ego is the Enemy. That's not necessarily telling people what they want to hear. You may, there's more money to be made. Tell, like 
The Secret is the greatest self-help book of all time. Is it? In terms of sales. Because why? Because it says... Manifest. Just think about it. You'll get what you want. Which is like everyone's fantasy. Oh, right? fuck. And so, so like you have to decide where you sit in the spectrum of like... And this is what I meant. Like... I know there. I know I could write the books differently, and I know I could write different books that would sell more copies. I know I have the chops to do it, but I choose to write the books that I write because they're what I feels important, and they're what I want to do creatively. In the same way that, like, I'm sure there are musicians who could write bigger pop hits, but that's not what you know gets them out of bed in the morning. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like. Like, so yes, sure, uh, writing, th there's definitely an audience for them. I'm not writing these obscure, nerdy, philosophical tomes. But at the same time, like, t writing a book called Stillness is the Key, which is basically telling people to slow down and, 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 like, do this hard work, you know, there's an easier book I could have written, I'm sure. Do you find that, uh, I heard this said about The Power of Now recently, yeah. um, which is, you know, pretty... It's a monster book. Monster yeah. book, Eckhart Tolle. And this one gripe this guy had with it, which I identified with, which I find a lot of self-help books fall victim to, he's like, you know, Eckhart is great at defining the problem and gives almost no solutions in which to solve it. It's true. Uh, I mean, I, I, that is a criticism definitely of, of that book and, and of lots of self-help books. Then the other thing I'll get with my books is people go, oh, you don't... You know, like, how am I supposed to get more stillness or something like this? Or how am I supposed, what's the five-step plan for getting rid of my ego? And it's like, that's also a way, if you can, I could give you five made-up steps, you know? Totally. I could give you the 30-day ego-less plan or whatever. <laughs> yeah. do you know ego what I mean? buster. Yeah, and look, that's what most diet and nutrition books do, is they sell you something that they know you're not ever going to do. Like, so my friend um, Ramit Sethi is a... He's like a finance guru, um, personal finance guru. And he's like, look, there's like nine, 99% of all personal finance people go like, you need to make a budget. Mm. And he's like, people just will never fucking make a budget. Nobody makes a budget. Rich people definitely don't make a budget. You know, like poor people are never going to make a budget. No one's going to make a budget. So he's like, I'm going to write a book that's going to tell people things that they actually will do, mm. you know? And so, like, and I don't think he's saying that in a, like, I'm going to pander to the lowest common denominator. He's saying, he's like, people want to be told to make a budget because they know they'll nod their head and then keep doing what they're already doing. I'm going to give, he's like, I'm going to give them things they actually are going to do. And so, like, what I try to think about, like, with this book, uh, you might think, like, because the title, Stillness is the Key, oh, he's talking about meditating. It's like, objectively, the research is pretty uh, indisputable. People don't want to meditate. They just don't want to do it. Is like, that true? There's a percentage of people who will meditate, and then the vast majority of people don't meditate. Do you? No. I can't either. Exactly. <laughs> it's very hard. So, so, but I could have written a wonderful chapter in this book about the importance of meditation, totally. and you would have nodded your head and then continued to do whatever you were going to do. Right? I would have tried it for a few days. Yeah, and, and then, then gone back. Give, right. Give just like you'd be like, oh, you need to, you know, like, Create a meal plan. Nobody's going to create a meal plan. Mm. Nobody's going to do it. So uh, what I try to think about in my books is like, how can I tell stories that inspire people to make changes or to think about things differently or to, you know, 
maybe start doing this or that that's will get them on a path to maybe doing that thing in the future but i don't know i think uh you 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 never go wrong telling people confirming what people already believe or telling them what they want to hear but that's not why i became a writer so i'm not going to do that well, I think uh, to your point and, and of your many talents, I love the allegorical nature, especially in this book. And you think about like, what's the famous Paulo, Paulo Coelho book? That, the Alchemist. The, the Alchemist. Great book. Great book. One big ass allegory. Yeah. <laughs> like, and similarly, and one of my favorite chapters was when you talked about Napoleon. Yeah. And like this idea, and, and it immediately, basically you say that he wouldn't open up his mail immediately, yeah. right? Yeah. For almost sometimes three weeks to a month. Yeah. You can, I'll let you speak more in detail about it because I don't want to butcher it. But, you know, I mean, as that um, applies to waking up and looking at your phone immediately. Like yep. these are very sort of pragmatic things. Yeah. The story I tell is, is an anecdote about Napoleon. He, he w instructed his secretary at one point, he's like, don't open any mail for three weeks. Mm. And, and then, so basically create a, a three week buffer on mail. So, so, and, and then Napoleon, as he would open this three week old mail, he'd be like, Oh, that's already handled. That's already handled. That handled itself. You know? And the, the point was like, we think we need to respond to things in real time. But in fact, uh, most things are totally irrelevant, unnecessary, and, and if you ignore them, they'll resolve themselves. Mm. And I, I was talking about sort of the importance of like sort of managing the inputs. What's your information diet? And like, I think about like, you know, look, we, we've been talking about the uh, sort of democratic primary and, and look, the truth is, uh, it doesn't even like... It's going to sort itself out. Do you know what I mean? I mean, you could argue there's some minor input on it. But, like, the truth is, like, the nominee is going to be who the nominee is going to be. Then it starts to matter. And the, we follow the news. We go, like, is Biden going to announce he's going to run? Is he going to run? He's objectively going to run or he's not going to run. Right? Like, and, and so why are you reading speculation about it? I get why you might read, want to read the actual news itself, but why are you reading speculation about the news? Like, I think about, I love sports. It's like, I think it's great to watch football on Sunday. Do you need to watch SportsCenter on Thursday where they're speculating about whether Odell Beckham Jr. is going to play or not? You know what I mean? Like, uh, or, or Antonio Brown is, like, out of training camp right now with a foot injury. Like, he's either going to start the first game of the season or he's not. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I don't need to read... 20 articles about it because that's, that's not changing the situation at all but that's what people do that's the entire news media business is designed around getting you to consume unnecessary trivia on the way to it becoming history should cnn just broadcast two hours a day <laughs> uh yeah i mean look like i think if cnn ceased publication tomorrow and a uh, good portion of the rest of the media outlets said too, the world would probably be a better place and all this cognitive energy would go towards better things. Someone, Michael Rappaport said something great the other day because some blog, some internet site attacked him and he's like, you ain't a writer just because you have Microsoft Word. Yeah. <laughs> like, but in this fucking day and age, it's so true because in the clickbait culture, that shitty you know, that shitty excerpt written by someone who barely graduated college sure. could be right next to some laureate who's like devoted their life to but, writing. And even after that, let's say it's, it actually is written by a 
Pulitzer Prize winner or a Nobel Prize winner or a G- Bill Gates. An opinion about the news is not news. Yeah. But we have a lar- we have a huge amount of trouble distinguishing between the two. And most of what we can, when you turn on, C- CNN used to report news. And now I would say like 10% of CNN is news and 90% of it is people telling us what the news means mm. or telling us what our reaction to the news should be. And that is not important. Does anyone do it right? The BBC? Uh, I guess. I mean, yeah. I just think people should, I mean, like books, I think books do it right because like, I think there's a cut, when you think of the economics of books, like first off, if you're reading a book that's like 20 years old, doesn't care about any of this, right? Uh, you had to pay for it. It is designed to be imperishable. Uh, you carry it around. It doesn't talk to you know what I like. The economics of of like what I had to do in this book is I had to take hundreds, if not thousands, of years of wisdom. I had to work on it for three years. I had to sign my name. You know what I mean? Like yeah. all these things that went into it that are aligned with the reader's incentive. And if you hate it, you can return it to Amazon. Do you know what I mean? Or you'll never, if, if you buy this book because you listen to this podcast and I don't deliver the goods, you're never going to read me again. Right. If you read a bullshit Huffington Post article or a bullshit New York Times article, you're never like, they're out. You just <laughs> yeah. wait until they come back through your Facebook feed again. Because it didn't, it's fast cost, food. It didn't cost you anything. Even fast food you have to pay for. If you get diarrhea from McDonald's, you're not going to go back to McDonald's. You don't know me well enough, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, like the, you get what you pay for, and we don't pay for most information. And so it's basically worth what we pay for it. Well, that's like the whole... I mean, could you imagine if the, the comment section had to include your picture, your name, the town you live in, and who you work for? People say that, except... Uh, when you look at Facebook comments, they're still awful. They are. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, That's true. I, I think Peter Thiel said this. He was like, you know, people said that. And then what we, were, we found is that people were actually willing to be quite terrible under their real identities, too. It's, it's wild. Like, like that's the whole thing. And obviously like doxing is a really fucking dangerous thing. But like when you see these Antifa guys come in and like go to a rally where there's fucking, where they've got tiki torches and whatnot. Yeah. And it's like, enjoy your first amendment, right? No one's giving you a hard time about it, but I'm allowed to also tell everyone, you know, exactly who you are. Yeah. And yeah. It, it's interesting. It is for sure. But that's such a, I, I'm sure you have an interesting stance on it. It's like, this whole talk where Rogan had um, the head of uh, Twitter yeah. on Jack Dorsey, Jack Dorsey, and sort of like you know uh, he's drawn a line in the sand and said I'm going to take action on certain things, and yet it's just inevitably a no win because you know who gets taken off, who stays. It's yeah. I just I, again though I just don't know how much any of this matters. Like yeah. I, I think I think we have just gotten like look Twitter will figure it out or they won't. Do you know right. what I mean? I, like, I know people get mad. They go like, oh, it's, that's easy to say. You're privileged or whatever. But like, I just think we have way too many opinions about things that are just going to sort themselves out. And that like, it's like qualified people are working on that problem. <laughs> like, yeah. I know, I, I know, yes, there's been problems. But the point is like, people who specialize in these issues are working on this thing. And I just, I'm just leery of, or at least I've, I've had to look in the mirror myself. It's like, Hey, like I'm reading this Washington Post hot take about what Jack Dorsey is doing on Twitter. And like, meanwhile, like my son is saying my name and I 
wasn't listening. Right. Do you know what I mean? And so I think we've just all, we've all taken it upon ourselves to like, oh, I got to keep my eye on the, what's going on. And it's like, we really don't. <laughs> like, uh, we really right. don't. I think, you know, what I, what I loved in, in the Napoleon story and, and also in, in your first story where you talk about JFK in the book, I, I remember recently, I'm constantly working on not acting with emotion, uh, removing emotion and resentment out yeah. of my decision making. Sure. I, I'd heard, um, you know, the comedian Sebastian Maniscalco? Uh-huh. He had done a pilot for a network and it had taken months and they were really hot on it. And they called him at four o'clock to say, we're not picking it up. And he didn't reply. He went for a run. Yeah. And at 5.30 that night, they called him back and said, we've rethought about it. We're going to pick it up. Oh, that's magical. Pretty that's special, magical. right? So my favorite, uh, my favorite moment from the NFL season last year is, well, as a Saints fan, it's like my least favorite moment and my favorite, favorite moment. But so Drew Brees uh, and the Saints basically... I don't want to say they got the game stolen from them, but there's a bad pass interference call, so bad that they've now changed the rules. Wow. Right. Like, there's now, like, a replay change thing in pass, with pass interference that, like, it, instant end to the season of his life deprives them of going to the Super Bowl, right? There's a photo. It's taken by Diana Rossini of, of ESPN. So if you've ever been to, like, an NFL game and been lucky enough to, like, you know a player or a coach or you get field pass basically you go out on the field – and you have to wait like 30 minutes. All the players, they go and get, they take a shower, they have to do media. And then before they go get on the team plane or if they're home, like they, they walk back out on the field and they say hi to like all the people that they have guest passes to or right. like, you know, really like VIP people or whatever. So you'll, and then their kids who usually come to the game or also come down, they get to see like dad or if it's a, if it's a it's their mom playing. They're like, it's this sort of like little family reunion. And so I've seen this a couple times myself. I wasn't there at this game. But in Drew Brees comes down and his kids are playing uh, football on the field. And so he starts playing. So he just lost like the game of his life. Not lost. It was stolen from him, right? right. In his view. And he's 41. He might not ever get this chance again. And the photo is him. He's down on one knee. No, he doesn't know. He knows no one's watching. And he's just tying his son's shoe as they play like football. And you're just like, that's so amazing. Like you've already, you've already pushed it away and come back to like what, what's actually important like that. Right. And that's so, I mean, it's, it's hard for me to do and the stakes of what I'm doing are so much lower and I've never experienced a painful moment to that degree. And so I just, I just think I, I love that. So I love the idea of, yeah, you go for a run, you ignore it. Or, I mean, more practically, it's like you could have, th that story could have ended a bunch of different ways. It was awesome. You could have also said that Sebastian like hung up the phone and then started writing the next script or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Yes. There's so many things you can do that are in your control that move the ball forward in some way. And then there's a bunch of things that you can do that our culture rewards more than other things that, uh, you know, don't move the ball forward. He could have gone on a tweet storm about how he got screwed over by NBC or a tweet storm about how it was because he was Italian and Italians aren't represented on TV properly. You know, right. there's so many things he could have done that could have gotten him attention and validation, but would not have been healthy. But he didn't. He just did what he did. Well, I think the perfect example to your writings about ego is Roseanne Barr. 
because, and granted, and I'm going to like eliminate this whole idea that she was high on Ambien okay. and that there was like, and just to what I believe, and this is all okay. uh, alleged. Yeah. I think her, her ego was so unchecked yeah. that it wasn't enough that she was back. It wasn't enough that she had the number one show on television. Yeah. That she succumbed to these fucking insidious urges at one in the morning in Hawaii yeah. where she's enjoying her millionaire life and the yeah. biggest show that she needed a fire tweet. She yeah. needed a hot take with a yeah. couple thousand retweets to feel good before she went to bed yes. and it fucking brought her down. Yeah. No, no. I, and look, I think Trump has the exact same syndrome. It's, it's, and Dove has this too. There, one thing we can get and it's a form of it's probably closer to work addiction, uh, but but I think it's sort of comorbid with a lot of the other addictions. It's just it's just addiction to chaos. Like it's not. It, it's like if you're still, you have to you have to feel mm-hmm. right. You have to get you you have to you have to sit with whether you like yourself or not. You have to be you, and that is so awful for a lot of people. And so that's why they do things like that. Do you know what I mean? Like, do you know how many people I know, uh, like really successful Republicans who are like, I, I love everything Trump's doing except the tweets. Why can't he tweet? And it's like, they are like this. They are the same thing. Yes. Do you know what I mean? He cannot, it's not like he's consciously deciding to do it. It's that he can't stop himself because there, there will never, his real enemy is sort of peace and contentment and happiness and, and all of that. Will you talk to, will you tell the story about the Dodgers hitter, Sean Green, was his, yeah, was his name? Yeah, so I tell the story of, of Sean Green, who has, actually has a, an amazing book called The Way of Baseball. Um, but he was going through this slump, like the worst slump of his career. And one of the really hard things about slump, like, so hitting a baseball is like the hardest thing in all of sports. I interviewed your, sorry to interrupt, yeah. I intervo- interviewed your boy David Epstein, Really? Yeah, who had has written about yeah. how like it makes no sense how yeah. someone it's like gets... econ- it's like physically impossible. Like yes. you like physics, not like physically, like physics make almost it defies physics is what it does. So, uh but the insidious part about being in a slump is it's already really hard and now you have this sort of racing inner monologue about like how you suck. Yes. You know, and it, writer's block is the same way. Once it gets in your head that you don't have anything to say, now it's there all the time. And, and what people say about writer's block is, is it's not that you're not writing anything, it's that you don't think anything you write is good, right? And so it's your brain just getting in the way. And so there's a Yogi Berra line, like uh, it's impossible to think and hit at the same time. Basically, what, what he does is he, he just says, like, I'm not going to overthink this. I'm just going to do the work. And there's that Zen expression, you know, like chop wood, carry water. And he just, he sort of is just emptying the mind. He comes back to his routine. It takes months to work his way back to this. And then there's this game where he basically, it just all clicks suddenly. And he has, it's probably the single, the single greatest uh, single game performance in baseball. It's like six home runs, a grand slam, like two on two other on bases. Like it's just nuts. Mm. And, and it, it's, it, it's just what happens when you like what the impulse in a slump is like, I'm going to reinvent my swing. I'm going to try super hard. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to let this happen to me. But it's like, if you ever play golf, like the harder you try at golf, the worse you are at golf. Right. You know, like the, the harder you try to hit the ball, that's the one where it's like, you know, and um, 
So I think it's, a, it's, a, it's like that in life. Like I think, you know, with each book, like for me, the stakes are higher, but I have to go like, ah, this is to push all that away. You know, I just have to write like what I really want to say. And I have to be like there in the moment. And I have to not get ahead of myself. And you know what I mean? And, and it has to, the readers can feel like, if you're like, like it's gonna, that's gonna not translate well. It's uh, it's funny you say that. I remember I went shooting with this like firearms master. Yeah. And he just said, as a rule, women tend to naturally be better at shooting because they their impulse isn't to muscle things. Interesting. And sure. as soon yeah. as you pull the trigger harder, yeah, you've now like taken it off the correct angle. No, that makes sense. Yeah. What? So speaking of that, this is your eighth book. Uh, I think it's 10. No big deal. <laughs> I think it's 10. Which is, in, uh, people say that, and, and then it's like, I feel like I'm being a dick to correcting them. But yeah, it's somewhere around 10. And uh, in 12 years, 10 years? So my first, oh, it was much less than that in the sense that like my first book came out in 2012. Really? Yeah. But it's like, how long, how long have I been a writer? That Now, you can add, all of a sudden, then it gets a little, little so, more reasonable. Let's call it seven. Okay. Yes. How do you write so much? Do it every day. Yeah? Yeah, you just do it every day. I mean, I'm a, I'm a subscriber to the Daily Stoic, and half the time I, I think, oh, he's got a team. Like, there's no way he's so writing I, this. I write 100% of the writing. So, so like, um, and <laughs> not only do I do all my own writing, I actually also do ghostwriting for other people. Um, but I, this is what I do. This is like me. So I... Uh, that's what I do. But um, I write all the emails. What I have is I have a team that helps me. So like, let's say I'm writing uh, a Daily Stoic email and I want to describe the scene of Marcus Aurelius's death. I might go like, you know, in blank, blank AD, a young or, you know, a, an aged XX Marcus Aurelius began and I would I can describe I, I know the scenes I've read about it and I can describe the scene from memory and I can I can get out the broad strokes of what I want to say but I don't get bogged down with what year did this happen how old was he what color was his hair right what was how many children did he have you know the what minutia. I mean like, uh, yeah and that that I I have helped people help me come and fill in so uh, or I might go like, and then he said, and then I'll put the quote from memory and then I'll tag it to have someone come in behind me and make sure it's right. Do you have research assistants when you're tackling a new book? Yes, but more in that sense. Like, mm. or I might go like, okay, there's a really great Marcus quote about X, go find it, you know? Or I'll say like, um, I need a really good, example of a strong woman who did x so like they definitely help but i would say the majority of the the research and then all the writing i do myself because that again that, that's what i want to be doing so like it's not like writing the daily stoic email is getting in the way of what i really want to be doing which is i don't know something else right. so it's like i actually am like i have people who do others i'm not getting my own groceries so i can do this. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Well, I think there's, you know, like Obama had three suits, mm -hmm. and I, because he didn't, he was tired of decision fatigue. Yes. And he didn't the want to burn himself. a lot about that. Yeah, 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 for sure. It's how do you limit choice? How do you um, 
how do you li limit temptation as well? And, and the more you do that, the more you can be like a little bit more monk-like about what you do. So will you do, this is a very Tim Ferriss okay. question, but will you describe your day a little bit like a normal writing day? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I wake up, uh, I try to wake up before my kids, but I usually, uh, I haven't because we have like uh, an eight week old. So the, the, one of the things is like you have your day. So I, uh, this New York Times reporter was once email, uh, interviewing me and they were asking me about my day. And she was like, and what are you going to do when you have kids? And I was like, oh, I'm going to keep it exactly the same. And she right. was just like, what is wrong with you? Good luck. It's not even... So I, I more kind of have like different routines. But my, my loose routine is like I wake up, my son wakes up, my wife's the one who wakes up mostly during the middle of the night just because like it just doesn't work when I do it. Yeah. Like, you know, like I can't put him back to bed. So what's the point of me doing it? Same here. What's wrong with us? Uh, well, look, the, the, I think, I think 80% of it is like, if you're not good at it, your wife will do it for you. And so like, you don't develop the skills, Fair. you know, but I think, I think there is just a, a natural nurturing, nurturing and connection and stillness that mothers have that like, were, I mean, the very least your wife is nine months ahead of you at, on all things yes. because she started earlier than you. But, um, so I wake up, I take my son for like a two or three mile walk usually like takes 45 minutes or an hour and I don't take my phone anymore. That's my new thing is I don't touch my phone for a minimum of one hour in the morning. So I don't sleep with it in the room. I wake up, don't touch it, go for this walk. We talk, we hang out. Um, I, I usually cook breakfast. Um, and then by that time my wife's up and we sort of switch. And if I'm staying at home that day, then I just go upstairs and start writing I usually do some, some time in a journal first and then I write. And like, if I'm at home, the writing day might be done by 11. Like mm. I could be done by 11 easily. And then on... Are you only good for, like, if you have It's really other... hard to do more, to do like writing, writing, like new blank page to product in for more than a couple hours. I might edit and stuff in the afternoon, but, or work on an article or something. And do you do vomit passes or are you editing as you write? A little of both. It's usually I have a very contained thing that I'm doing. So like this book is, and actually all the books in that sort of series, which doesn't have a name, but uh, it's like, you know, three parts, roughly 10 to 12 chapters in each part. So let's say it's 10. So that's 30 chapters plus an intro and a conclusion. So it's, you know, I have 32 sections of note cards and then I'm just working on, you know, chapter six, part two on Tuesday or whatever. And you've outlined this all before I've you outlined in. it, sketch. I have all the material. So I'm just, I'm not working on the book that day. I'm working on a 2000 word chunk of the book. And so I'm just, I go until it's done and then I move on. Yeah. And what do you do? Uh, like, I uh, love, do you know Josh Waitskin? Yeah. And he talks a lot about like writing in spurts and then disrupting it with some sort of like, activity right just the idea of not allowing yourself to be fatigued yeah um so my routine is more like i do that in the morning and then i switch over maybe i have editing i have to do or i have a phone call i have to do or i have paperwork to fill out or emails to catch up on and then usually in the afternoon i do some physical activity i run or swim i've gotten into biking more recently but i'll do something for like a chunk uh and then if i've gone into town to work like in my office then i'll 
pick my kid up from daycare and then come home and dinner. Like my days are like, you know, eight to five or six. And I'm like, I'm work banker's hours, you know, yeah. like it's not, I, I think there are certainly writers who live the sort of like Hemingway, you know, glamorous, like kind of weird creative thing, but I, I'm call much it what more it like, is alcoholics. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm more like clock in clock out. Like that's what I do. Um, yeah, and I think... But you do it every fucking day. That's the key. Like, that's what I mean. Like, I'm doing it every day. Yes, and also, I think we've all fallen in love with this idea of, like, the romanticism of a, a drunken writer sitting mm-hmm. down in front of his typewriter, and it magically comes out in a night. Like, no, it's much more like a fucking long outline. I think so. Yeah, it's very unromantic. Yeah, I think so. It's and, systematic. And like, it certainly worked. It certainly created works of genius for those people. But how many, how many, um, how many things did they leave on the table? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. how many? What if? What if they actually could have? Maybe their works would have been five percent less good, but like they would have produced fifty percent more. How much do you read? I read a lot. I, I I read more in spurts. So like, I'm traveling. I read a lot because I don't. It's just me. I can do whatever I want. I reading the having kids has impacted my reading more than probably my writing or my work. Um, but I tend like I read when I like I usually eat lunch by myself, so I read at lunch. I read in the evenings. You know, I, I I'm reading constantly. It depends more whether I'm like am I tr- am I gathering material for a new project that requires a lot more reading uh, and more active reading um, than like. You know, lately I haven't, so I've just been sort of hanging out, taking things. What, what's the dynamic of ghostwriting? Ghostwriting is like um, what I mean. What I know I'm, what it is, but like, yeah, what's yeah, it? No, what's I'm it more, like? The, the kind of ghostwriting I do is is much less like there's there's the hey so and so just sold a book and they want to hire someone to write it. I'm much more interested in um, like we talked last time we were here. We we're talking about a book I was going to do with Lance Armstrong, which I don't know where that. Is but I'm more much more interested in taking an interesting person and packaging a book around them, and then like here's the book I think they should do, here's what it would look like, and then here's the agent I think should represent it, and then we sell it together, and I'm involved in that. So it's, there's not really like a movie producer role in publishing, but that's more how I when I work on a project, that's, I'm not, I also end up writing it usually, or I write it with a team of people. But the point is like, um, what I don't do is function as like a vendor, like where it's like, Hey, we need someone to build us a deck. You've built decks before. Like here's $2,000 to do a deck. The money just doesn't work for me. And that it doesn't get me excited to, to just like paint by numbers. But uh, and in these scenarios, you're get, you're getting credited. It's like Lance Armstrong in association no. with no? Uh, like so. There's two ways to do it. There's um, like Neil Strauss tends to be credited on the ones he does, right? Um, but his are usually like bigger books. I'm uh, I like to not be credited, not because I don't like the books, but I just don't want it to be. I don't want people to go like, oh, this is a Ryan Holiday book. Like right. this is just your book. So uh, I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm, no, I'm not credited on any books I've ghostwritten. So what'd you think of the Dove interview? <laughs> I thought it was fascinating. So, uh, it was... For, for some quick backstory, you know, I met, I've actually known Ryan for 
about 10 years. But, uh, you know, Ryan was the head of marketing for American Apparel. And I've been very fascinated in Dove Charney and, and in an interesting way, got the opportunity to not only interview Ryan before, but also Robert Green, who was on the board of American Apparel. So when Dove Charney allowed me to come into his new venture and interview him, I was, I was stoked. So I had a couple reactions. So one, uh, one was like a nostalgia. Like I just missed, I'm, I miss him. Like, I, I, like it, a bad girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. No, I, it, like it's sweeter than that. It's, it's more like that was like, that was like a huge chunk of my life. And I have a lot of good memories from it. And I know people are pro- like, there are probably some people are outraged to even hear that because like bad stuff happened there. And, and, and I, I, I was very angry about it for a long time as well. But it's just more like this person also taught me a lot of good things. Like he's a complicated person, you know, and, um, and he has some dark demons that hurt, hurt people but, and, and himself, you know, as well. But so part of it was like sort of a sweet nostalgia sadness. Another part of it, I, I think I texted you this. I was like, I've, I've been on this phone call like 50 times. Like, like he would just sometimes call. Like, so you would call him, you'd be like, you know, hey, Dove, like, I need to give somebody in my department a raise, which you should not be having to call the CEO about, but that's how he set up the company. He'd be like, you know, I promised so-and-so I'd give her a $1,000 raise, which is like, you know, nothing, yeah. right? And, and the payroll people would be like, well, you got to get Dove's permission. And so you, you're calling the CEO and you, you know, you called him 10 times that week and he's like, call me on Sunday. So you call him on Sunday, you know, you're not working, you call him on Sunday and you know, you're like, Dove, I need your permission on this thousand dollar raise. And then he's like, hold on, I'm getting another call. And then he's conferencing somebody in. And then the next thing you know, there's like 28 people on the line. And then it's just the Dove show. It's a, it's exactly what you experience. And is and he's not talking about the thousand bucks. He's no, he's on talking about agenda. there's dirt in those stores, and what about this crazy idea? And like, why are, why aren't sales up? And uh, I, you know, just like rant, not ranting and raving, but just like just just rolling, you know. And so so there was part. There was also part of it that was like my heart was just like it was like PTSD. It was like a flashback. Yes, because. Um, I can laugh about it now, but like at 22, I didn't know that that was not normal. Like that was like deeply abnormal. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I just didn't, I didn't, uh, you know, it's like if you grow up and your parents have a mental illness, you just think that's like how parents are or something. It, it's you romantic. Know? And also probably why he hired so many young people was because totally. they would indulge his Yes. ridiculousness yeah of course of course and and so um yeah there was I, I had a i had weird feelings i'd not i'd not i've been out of that for so long that it was just like I, i'd not heard his voice for that extended period of time in that setting and been exposed i i think one of the things leaving and maybe this is explains why i live where i live and do what i do is like i was like i want none of that energy in my life right you know and because it had dominated my life for so long and it took a long time for I realized I picked up that energy like I would call someone at four in the morning and my wife would be like you can't call someone at four in the morning but it's like I could call at four in the morning and they're like yes unhealthy like this is not how life should be Do you right. know what I mean and so it was just a process of like 
you know, just like detangling and then, and then, you know, you plunge me right back into it. No problem. (laughs) (laughs) My pleasure. Thanks. thanks. It's so funny because you, it's so intoxicating and you literally gave me a play by play of how the interview would go. And it, in retrospect, did go exactly that way. And yet while I was in it, I felt like a crazy person. Yeah. And in, there's actually a really good, um, James Comey op-ed in the New York times about Trump. And he was saying, he's like, here's what happens. Trump calls you in to his office and you think you're going to talk about policy. And then he starts talking about how 3 million fake people voted in California and how his inauguration was the biggest inauguration ever. And because what you want to talk about is important, you're just like, and you're like, I'm not just like, this guy doesn't know me. I don't know him. I'm not just going to like get in a fight with him about the size of the inauguration. Right. Do you know what I mean? You're like, I got to keep my powder dry for like later. And he's like, and that's how he gets you. Right. Because that's how it is with Dev. Like I could see you doing it and he's just, he's getting you to concede on little things. Right. And, and all of a sudden now you live in his reality. Right. And then it's only, you could, so some people are just completely consumed by this new reality. You we're a little bit one foot out, one foot out, you know, where he goes like, you're asking me to get Jews to apologize for the Holocaust. You're like, no, no, no I'm definitely not. Like, it was, <laughs> yes. sna- it was so absurd. It snapped you out of it. Exactly. But, but yeah, it, it is. It's intoxicating. And especially if you want something from that person, which I did at 21 years old. I wanted a job. I wanted to be important. I wanted to make money. You know what I mean? Do you, uh, assuming, let's say a new dub figure who yeah. hasn't accrued all this wreckage, but is of that type, yeah. but in the early stages, the way you came into American Apparel, but they approach you now, do yeah. you say, stay away from me? Well, I mean, it's, it's like you, I'm sure you learn in 12-step, it's like, oh, you're just like attracted to certain types of people. And uh-huh. I don't know why I'm attracted to it, but like, look, I worked for this guy named Tucker Max, very similar to Dove. Then I worked for Dove, and... Robert's not like this, but I, I just had, I just got caught up in, I don't know why, but yeah. it, it was, it, there was something and my, 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 um, yeah, I just, I don't know. It's, it's clearly some childhood issue I have where like, I, yes, I, I want to save your complex. No, it's not a savior complex because what it, what you're not actually trying to save the person. It's more like, here's this sort of like person who's very successful and yes, they're like, they're a bit nuts but they're also like telling you that you're special. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And, and, and like, I think, I think the quid pro quo was like, if you go along with my reality in my reality, you are a star. Yes. And so that's, that's, uh, that's what it exploits. And I think you're so right with people like Dove. I, I mean, right now, financially, he probably can't live anywhere but his warehouse. But, yeah. I mean, there was stories from, I remember, you know, when he opened up that gigantic warehouse for American Apparel. Where La was Mirada. it? La Mirada. And he was sleeping on the floor of that. Mm-hmm. I've worked with certain showrunners, one in particular, who would bring people in on Sunday. Granted, he was married but didn't have kids. And very much had that, because my suspicion was always, you're only the big fish here. Yes. amongst us yes. when you have to walk the world yeah. no one else is has any awareness that you matter yeah and so it's like sure this guy's like taking your sunday from you but you feel important because he needs you on sunday yes Do you know what i mean and you're like oh i'm part of the team 
And it, but it's also like that bullshit hustle mentality of like hate the weekends. It's like you hate the weekend because there's nothing good about your life. Because you have to be a, right, right. Because right. you have to be with your, you know, you have to embrace stillness. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the one thing I don't know if I talked about in the interview in, in the intro was that we go through this two hour thing, two and a half hours where I thought at a certain point Dove was going to hit me. And I've seen that. And then he proceeded to walk me to my car earnestly and hug me yep. and text me after mm-hmm. thanking me. And it, and I remember in that, that moment thinking, am I the one that's going to fix him? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, yeah, no, there's a sweetness. There's a, there's a childlike sweetness there that I think is real. I mean, I don't think he's, I don't think he's like, he's not a sociopath. He's not doing it to manipulate you, mm. but it's what, reels people in do you know what i mean and uh yeah so no i thought the interview was great i mean i'm surprised i don't know why he he did it but uh me either yeah he he even screams in the interview (laughs) like why am i doing this like because you can't help yourself yeah so for these people right because we like uh, you talk about virtue signaling in this world of cancel culture yeah so let's assume there's someone who's done a deed in which I don't want to name anyone in particular, but like they've been excommunicated, but it's salvageable. They can come back. Let's Uh say they said something wrong or did something that's like, it's not a, it's not something like Harvey Weinstein level. Yes. They, they will be allowed back in over time. Yeah. So, I mean, you're brilliant at this. How do you, what are your opinions of like the best ways to come back? Yeah. Like well, Aziz Ansari did with this new Netflix special. I, th- I mean, look, I think the main thing is, like, can you do really good work? That's you know? everything, right? That's, that's all that's that matters. That's a huge chunk of it. And uh, look, like, A-Rod, uh, people love A-Rod again because he, 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 he played another season. He's a good announcer. You know what I mean? And yeah. then, I, I don't know. So it's, it's hard. Uh, I, don't think, I don't think there's, like, a one-size-fits-all situation you know solution but nor do i think it's like it's also not something i'm spending a ton of mental energy on because it's like i i do agree that it's like i don't care that much about these people do you know what i mean like like there are also people who didn't do things you know you know what i mean like like look i don't think you should get a career death sentence because you messed up but i also don't think we as a society should spend that much time or energy like helping them rehabilitate themselves. Like they'll figure it out or they won't, you know? But um, the, uh, the, the main path I think is, is uh, do good work and then also like do good things in the actual world. Like I don't know why these, these people don't go, I'm going to take some, like uh, the, the woman who, um, uh, what's her name? Uh, the one who was in, in, if you've read So You've Publicly Been Shamed, like there's this woman who made this like sort of really offensive tweet about AIDS in Africa and she lost her job and she was a trending Twitter topic about it. Yeah, she was like but, on a plane. Yeah, yeah. She like just went and worked for a nonprofit for like two years, like as a publicist and did like a lot of really great work for them. And then it's like, oh yeah, I wouldn't have done that. You're probably a better person than me. I'm going to stop being right. so upset at you. Do you know what I mean? So I think the other thing is like, why don't you just not, instead of just taking two years in career jail, 
why don't you just take a two-year sabbatical where you like make the world a better place and is there a part of it now with i mean i guess the forces are sometimes bigger than you can control but trump is a great example of like if you don't acknowledge it and don't that apologize is the other problem. yes that you could all, you could argue that trump has pioneered a playbook where you're like just don't don't acknowledge it power through blah 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 and maybe that works i mean there's not a lot of other examples of it working for other people yeah you know and maybe he's the one guy that it works for but uh i don't know uh last question all right what and i don't think i would i think I'd, i had interviewed you before i started doing this okay so this will probably be the first what are your one or two Ryan Holiday commandments? Truths that you have discovered that you'd want to impress upon someone else? What are some other answers people have? They range. It's a big span. Uh, the fat Jewishes was, um, it's not gay to have sex with John Stamos. Okay. <laughs> and also, you don't have an STD unless you get checked. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then, you know, there's a lot of talks of kindness and... Uh, my friend had a good one, which was looking for the note behind the note that some people express feelings about something, but they're not able to oh, articulate yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, like we're talking about with empathy. Um, I mean, I think the big one is like, uh, I try to live by this idea that like you could die at any minute, you know, like, so let that determine sort of what you do and say and think. I keep that, this memento mori coin in my pocket that, that says that idea. And it's, it's. This idea that, like, look, life is very finite. And I don't even like this idea of people go like, oh, you know, you have 80 years. And so, like, it's like, no, actually, you could get hit by a bus. Like, yeah. I, think it's, I, think, I think you think about it, you don't even take comfort in the averages. Like, you're just like, this is it. Let's do it, you know? Um, so that's a big one for me. And then I would say, like, uh, what do I think? I wish I had kids earlier. I wish I had kids earlier. Yeah. I think our generation got sold a lot of warnings about how hard it was, you know, yes. and all the downsides because like their generation was pressured into having kids. And like we, like our generation has no pressure to have kids basically. Right. Which I think is good in some sense, but I think it pushed it back for me for no reason. I really like it. I don't know why I didn't do it earlier. Yeah. Same. Yeah. Although I'm in no rush to have a second. No, no, agreed. <laughs> I just, I'm just saying, like, I could have a five-year-old right now, and it'd be awesome. And I don't think it would have, it would not have negatively impacted my life in any way. Yeah, dude. Thank you. Thanks, man. The man. That was it. That was Ryan Holiday. How good was that, man? Stillness is the key. October first out today. Go get it. You'll love it. Get it, please. Did you buy? Did you just buy it as we're as I'm talking? Did you buy it now on the Amazon app? You don't have the Amazon app? Okay, go get the Amazon app and then get Stillness is the key. Okay, why am I giving Amazon a free promotion? They don't need it. Love you guys. Thank you. Have a great week. Have a great life. Okay, bye.